usually we will go one chapter per night. But since we are in the book of Jude and it's only one chapter, we've kind of been taking our time and really just digging in to what Jude has to say. It's a very deep book. And if you remember last week, we uh, spent uh, our time in verse 11. And of course, we weren't only in verse 11. We went through a lot of the Bible, just like we will tonight. But if you look at verse 11 again, I want to remind you, the Bible says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. And uh, Jude kind of gives us an outline here. He gives us three Old Testament examples. Uh, uh, these are Old Testament characters, Old Testament stories. And the point that he's trying to make is he's trying to teach us that we can learn what a modern day false prophet is like by watching or learning from these Old Testament uh, uh, examples of false prophets because the characteristics of a false prophet will be the same. So if you remember last week, we looked at the phrase, uh, they have gone in the way of Cain. And we saw how a uh, false prophet will be like Cain. We went to Genesis and saw the story of Cain there. Tonight, we will deal with the second of these. And next week, we'll deal with the third, Korah. And tonight, we're going to deal with the subject of Balaam. And what we can learn about a modern false teacher, false prophet, through uh, learning about the Old Testament character of Balaam. So I want you to look at verse 11 again. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, that's what we dealt with last week, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, that's what we'll deal with this week, and perished in the gainsaying of Kori, or Korah. And that's what we'll deal with next week. Now, keep your finger there in Jude, and go to 2 Peter chapter number 2. If you remember last week, I showed you how uh, first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter and the book of Jude are parallel passages. And we saw all those different correlations between Jude and 2 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse number 15 in 2 Peter chapter number 2. And I would keep your finger or your bulletin or a ribbon there in 2 Peter. Because we'll be going back and forth tonight. 2 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says, Which have forsaken the right way, talking about these false prophets, they have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? And we're going to go back to the book of Numbers and look at the story of Balaam in a minute. But let me just refresh your mind in case you're having trouble remembering Balaam. If you remember Balaam, we find the story in the book of Numbers, verses 22 through 25. Balaam was a prophet. The Bible also tells us he was a soothsayer, which means he was into witchcraft, and he was able to bless and curse people. Balak, the, the, the king of Moab, hired Balaam, the prophet, to come and curse the children of Israel. And if you remember, and we'll get into it in a minute, God did not allow Balaam to curse the people physically would not allow the words to come out of Balaam's mouth to curse the people. And Balak was getting upset and getting upset and getting upset three different times. And Balaam ended up bringing the Moabites into Israel and, and advertising, the Bible says, which we'll get into that word, the people 
God's people to the world and ended up corrupting the people that way and ended up did bring a curse upon the people even though he wasn't allowed to bring a curse. So it's just kind of to refresh you, refresh you of the story of Balaam. Now, what can we learn about a modern day false prophet in regards to Balaam? Well, here's what you're going to understand. Three points tonight if you're taking notes or writing something down. Point number one, Balaam was covetous. Balaam was covetous. Now, I want you to, you, you, you're there in Second Peter, keep your finger in Second Peter, go back to Jude, look at verse 11 again. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Now I want you to see this. They have ran greedily. You see that word greedy? Okay, the word covet means to desire something, to want something, and, and, and when it comes to a false prophet, it's money. you got to understand this. Balaam was a very covetous, greedy man, and false prophets today are motivated by money. They're motivated by greed. They're motivated by covetousness. So what we can learn about a false prophet in the sense that we can learn from Balaam is that a false teacher will be motivated by money. Look at Jude 11.1. They have gone in the way of Cain and notice what it says, ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Now you got to understand this, okay? After the error is a prepositional phrase. Of Balaam is a prepositional phrase. And, and those are needed there in that sentence, but those are not the subject. So what the sentence is saying is this. They ran greedily for reward. You see that? And for reward is also a prepositional phrase, by the way. But it says, ran greedily after the error of Balaam of, uh, uh, for reward. So he was interested, Balaam was interested in money. He was interested in what he could get. The Bible says he ran greedily there. If you get your finger in 2 Peter, uh, go, go back to 2 Peter just real quickly. And look at verse, uh, the verse we just looked at, 2 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse number 15. I want you to see this. 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 15. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Now notice what the Bible says about Balaam. Uh, the son of ba- uh, Bosar. Notice what it says about Balaam. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Wages is what you earn. Is what you're getting paid. He loved his money, even though he was getting it in a very unrighteous way. Now you gotta understand this. Like Balaam, a false prophet will love money, will love covetousness. You're there in Second Peter chapter two. Look at verse number fourteen. Look at another description of a false prophet. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls in heart they have exercised. Look what it says. With covetous practices. you got to understand this. A false prophet, you say, how can I know uh, uh, the biggest red flag that you can get about a false teacher, a false prophet? If you see a preacher that is over uh, uh, focused and over you know, uh, gives his attention to money, how much money he's making, the clothes that he's wearing, the cars that he's driving, the houses that he's living in, Just let that be a red flag that more than likely that is a false prophet. Go to Romans real quickly. Romans chapter number 16. Romans chapter number 16. Look at verse number 18. Romans chapter number 16. Well, look at verse 17. Romans chapter number 16. Romans uh, 16 is the last chapter of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 16, look at verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them uh, which cause uh, divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. 
Now, understand this. Sometimes people get mad at me because uh, I'll, I'll call out a false preacher. You know, I'll call out the name of some false prophet. And they'll say, I don't think you should... Well, the Bible there tells us... Read, read the verse again. Now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them. The word mark them means identify them. Which cause division and offenses... <coughs> excuse me. Which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. So, we should mark those who are going contrary to the doctrine or the teaching of the Bible, which ye have learned, and what's the purpose of marking them? What's the purpose of identifying them? And avoid them. So you can avoid a false prophet. Now look at verse 18. Why should we mark them? Why should we avoid them? For they that are such, okay, who... Those that have given us, those that have taught us, divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Now look, there's nothing wrong with me. Sometimes people say, Pastor Jimenez, you're divisive. You preach divisive things. You know what? God is a very divisive God. But you know, we should have unity in doctrine. So when, and by the way, Jesus Christ Himself, He said, I came not to bring peace. He said, I came to bring a sword. He said, Jesus Himself said that He would put at odds a daughter with her mother or a son with their father. So you got to understand this. God is a very divisive God. You begin to worship God. You begin to follow God. It's going to divide you from this world. So being divisive is not a bad thing. But when you are uh, creating divisions and offenses, Contrary to the doctrine, now we have a problem. Because we ought to unite on the Word of God. We ought to unite on, uh, on doctrine. So the Bible tells us, verse 18, For they that are such, those that go against doctrine, those that go, that go against the things that we've learned from the Bible, for they that are such, look what it says, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there are preachers and pastors and men that will stand up with a Bible and say, I am a man of God, I am a prophet, I am a preacher, I am a pastor. And the Bible says that there are men like that that are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. For they, are, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but here's who they do serve, their own belly. Do you see that? And often the belly represents uh, the flesh. You've got to understand that. When you're going through Scripture, a belly will often represent the flesh. Your heart will often be a representation of something spirit. Because what do we do with our stomach? What do we do with our belly? We feed it. It talks about your lust, your desires, the, the, the things that you crave. These men are not serving the Lord. They're serving their own desires, their own cravings, their own lust, their own belly. And by good words, keep this in mind, by good words and fair speeches, deceive the heart of the simple. And the word simple there, you know, I'm not trying to offend you, but do, do, a, do a study of the word simple. It simply means dumb. That's what the word means. Now you got to understand this, okay? Because sometimes I'll preach this and people uh, will not comprehend what I'm saying. Go to 1 Timothy. Let me show you something. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to understand this, okay? 1 Timothy, chapter number 5. Let me give you a disclaimer. The Bible is very clear. We are not go to an extreme. A false prophet wants money. So then people get this idea. We should not pay, pay the pastor. We should not pay a preacher. The Bible is very clear that a hard-working pastor should be paid well. 
Are you there in 1 Timothy chapter 5? Look at verse number 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Let the elders, the word elders there is a reference to pastor or bishop. That, those words are used interchangeably throughout Scripture. The Bible says, Let the elders, now notice, that rule well, be counted worthy of double honor. Now you say, what does it mean to give them double honor? Well, keep reading, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. So you got a pastor that rules well, you got an elder that rules well, you got an elder that labors in the word and doctrine, you can tell that they're studying the Bible, you can tell that they're reading the Bible, they're bringing sermons and teachings and lessons that you can tell they spend time uh, preparing them and you're learning the Bible, then the Bible says that man is worthy of double honor. Now that word honor has to do with finances. You say, how do you know that? Look at verse number uh, 3. Let me just show you this, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. I'm saying number, I'm saying 3 and I'm holding up a 5. Verse 3, alright? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Look what it says. Honor widows that are widows indeed. Do you see that? The Bible tells us there to honor a widow. Now, you say, well, what does that mean to honor a widow? Well, notice what he's... And I don't have time to preach through the, this whole chapter, and we will go through 1 Timothy at some point in, in the history of our church. But he tells us to honor widows. Now notice what he says to do with the widows. Verse 4 he says, But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home, and to requite their parents, for that is good and acceptable for God. So notice, he says, Honor a widow that is a widow indeed. He says, But if a widow has a nephew or a child, then, then let them honor them. Verse 5, Now she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, Trusteth in God and continues his application and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. So he's saying a widow that is desolate, that trusteth in God, that continues in supplication and prayers night and day. She says that's a widow indeed. A widow that liveth in pleasures, ignore that widow. She's dead while she liveth. Verse 7. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Notice what he's talking about. Verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So he's talking about providing financially for your own uh, family. It says that there's a man and he's not providing for his family. He's worse than an infidel. Verse 9. Now notice the context. Let not a widow be taken into the number. He says, he says, have a number, have a roster of these widows, these widows indeed. He said, what qualifies me to be a widow indeed? Well, let not a widow be taken into the number under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. So he says, look, you got to have a widow who's three score and years old. If, if they're under three score and years old, then they're not a widow indeed. You following what I'm saying? Three score means 60. So if you're over 60 years old, you're considered... An elder woman in the church. If you're below that, then you're still a young woman, according to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So you can take relief in that. Verse 10. Well reported of good works. So look, she has to be 60 years old and over. She needs to be well reported of good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lost strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Now notice. Not only did you... Notice verse 9. Let not a widow be taken under the, into the number under three score years old. Notice what it says. Having been the wife of one man. Okay? So if she's divorced, disqualified. If she's over, if she's less than 60 years old, disqualified. If she does not have a, a testimony of a servant in the church, well reported of, good work. If she have brought up children, if she have lost strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. Hey, if she's that type of widow, notice verse 
verse 11, But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also, and busybodies, speaking things which they have not. You say, I don't understand, what are all these qualifications for a widow? Here's why he gives us all these qualifications. Verse 14, I will therefore that the younger woman marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary, to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth, have widows, let them relieve them, okay? And let not the church be charged. Do you see that? That it may relieve them that are widows indeed. The Bible is teaching here in First Timothy chapter number 5, that if you have a widow who's 60 years old, who has not been divorced, who has a testimony of living righteously, and has no family, that the church is to be charged in taking care of them financially. And he began this whole conversation by honor widows that are widows indeed. Do you see that? If there ever came a widow to Verity Baptist Church, who had a testimony of living godly, who was faithful to all the services, who was soul winning, who was godly, had never been divorced, she's 60 years old and up, and she, and she has no family to take care of her, our church would do everything in its power to meet her financial needs. That's one of the ministries of the church. You say, does the church ever do that? Well, unfortunately, most people today have been divorced. It is a rare thing in society today for a woman and a man to have been married once and, and have their husband died, and that's the reason they're single. So... I guess that kind of helps us out <laughs> for now because there's not a lot of those. But the Bible says it is very scriptural to take care of a woman that is older. But the Bible says if she has a family, her family ought to take care of her. Only if her family doesn't, if she has no family, she has no, nobody to take care of her, then the church should take care of her. But here's what it says. It says honor. By the way, that's why the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother. I believe the word honor there is a reference that we ought to take care of the elderly financially. Okay? That's the context of 1 Timothy 5. I took all that time to explain to you. The context is the word honor has to do with meeting someone's financial need. Now, we continue in verse 17. Is verse 17 not in the same chapter? Look what it says. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So that if you're going to honor a widow and meet her needs financially, hey, a elder that rules well and who labors in the word, they're worthy of double honor. And just to make sure you don't think I'm just kind of trying to suck this out of my thumb, look at verse 18. Is verse 18 not in the context of verse 17? For the scriptures say that thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the cord. It says that if the ox is working, let him eat. Don't muzzle his mouth. Don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So if you got a pastor that's working, then he is worthy of the double honor, which is his reward. So the Bible is very clear. A pastor that is working hard, that is laboring in the ministry, that is laboring in the Word, people are getting saved, people are being baptized, the church is growing, people are learning the Bible. Hey, they ought to be paid. And by the way, don't submit to the... And I, and I have the... Uh, I have the freedom to preach this, and I'll preach it either way. But I have the freedom to preach this because the church doesn't pay me a full-time salary now. So I can say whatever I want. <laughs> but, but let me tell you something. They ought to get paid, and they ought to be paid well. Okay? People have this idea. Well, you know, I, I've heard people say, I think the pastor should be the person that makes the least amount of money in church. No, the Bible says they're worthy of double honor. That's right. 
I think pastors should get paid well. And you know, and at Verity Baptist Church, as a church grows, guess what? Pastor Jimenez, when he takes a full-time salary, I will be paid well. And some people have this idea. They say, well, well, I don't make, you know, I'm not making as much money as a pastor. Hey, when you get up at 5 in the morning, 6 days a week, when you stay up till midnight, 6 days a week, when you work as hard as some of the pastors work that, that are doing this, maybe you can make that much money. See, people have this idea. They want to sleep all day and then make as much money as somebody who's working. The Bible is very clear. Someone that works hard ought to be paid. So we're not saying that when a pastor makes money, he is a false prophet. What we are saying is that when the entire focus of a ministry is money, 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 a red flag ought to go up that this might be a Balaam. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that a pastor should not get paid well, because they should. I'm not saying that a pastor should be driving a, a, a bad car. They should be taken care of. If they're working hard, they should be taken care of. But at the same time, they, their focus ought not, ought not be money. Remember it said there in 2 Peter that they, they love the wages of unrighteousness. They love money. What does the Bible say about loving money? You're there in 1 Timothy. Look at chapter number 6. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich, the word will means desire. They that desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Why? Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So when a pastor has a love for money, or a preacher has a love for money, that is probably a false prophet. Look at, look at verse number uh, 5, same chapter. The Bible says, Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. You know that there is a prosperity gospel, prosperity preachers, health and wealth, name it and claim it, God's going to make you reach, uh, uh, going to make you reach, going to make you rich uh, movement today. You, if you don't believe it, turn on, turn on the televangelists. That's what they're all preaching. So, sow a seed of a thousand dollars into our ministry, and God's going to make you rich. Send in your money, and it's all about money, it's all about this. Let me tell you something. Those that teach that gain is godliness are very foolish. Because guess what? Jesus was not a rich man. Paul was not a rich man. Peter was not a rich man. Now, the Bible, God used rich men. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job. They were all rich men. Guess what? God used rich men. God used poor men. But we ought not judge whether someone is right with God based on how much money they have. Because if that's how you're judging it, then Jesus must have been a sinner. But these guys preach that gain is godliness. These guys teach that their focus is money. Now go back to 2 Peter. Did you keep your finger there in 2 Peter? Chapter number 2. Look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 3. And I, and I can preach, I guess I have the liberty, for lack of better words, to preach like that because the church doesn't pay me a full-time salary at this time. But you know when the church pays me a full-time salary, I'm still going to preach like that because it's right. And it's what the Bible says. But look at 2 Peter chapter number 2, look at verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. I want you to see what a false prophet does. And through covetousness, do you notice how that word keeps coming up? 
And through covetousness shall they with feign words... I want you to see this. This is what a false prophet's going to do. They with feign words make merchandise... Make note of that word. Of you. Do you see that? Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. A false prophet is going to make merchandise of you. Go to John chapter number 2. you got to understand this. You go to a church. You listen to a preacher. And it's all about, you got to give this much money to the ministry. And you got to give this much money to the church. And you got to tie this much to the church. And then on your way out, don't forget to pick up my new book that I'm selling. Don't forget to pick up. You, you like this sermon? Make sure you go out by the bookstore and you pay uh, $7.99 for this CD. What are they doing? They're making merchandise of you. Are you there in John chapter number 2? Look at verse number 14. John chapter 2 verse 14. Jesus Christ was going into the temple to worship. Notice what it says. And found in the temple those that sold. Notice, he walks in the temple and there are those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. Now listen to me. They were selling oxen and sheep and doves to do sacrifice in the temple. They could have said, well, it's religious. It's for a spiritual purpose. But notice what Jesus thought of it. Verse 13. And when he had made a scourge of small cords. Now listen to me. When Jesus starts making a scourge, a whip, it's not a good sign. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes of money and overthrew the tables. I wish I could have been there. Could you imagine this scene? Jesus walks in. They, these people got they got their table set up. One guy said, I've got sheep here. Do you want to do a peace offering to God? Purchase my sheep. Do you want to do a lamb offering, a bird offering? Purchase my sheep. Here's another guy. I've got oxen. Here's another guy. I've got doves. They've got their, their register set up. They got all their money. Jesus walks I mean, could you imagine? He walks in, he gets upset. I mean, think about it. people say, was Jesus was Jesus just having a, 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 a anger issues here? I don't think he was. Because think about it. How long would it take you to make a scourge of small boys? Think about it. He walks in, gets mad. Walks out, goes, finds the material, sits down, you know, does his little weaving, gets this whole scourge thing going. Then he walks back in and begins to whip these guys. Hit them with these whips. He's taking their tables, turning them over. He's taking the money, throwing it all over. I mean, could you imagine the scene? I would have loved to have been there. Look at verse, look at verse 16. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. He said, Get out of here. He said, Don't take. And notice what he said, Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. You know why at Verity Baptist Church we will never sell you anything? You know why we will never sell you a preaching city? We will never sell you a book. We're never going to cost. It's never gonna, we're never going to say, Hey, you want to come to this ladies' activity? It's a five dollar fee. You know why we'll never do that? Because the Bible says to make not the, 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 the house of God the house of merchandise. Now let me tell you something. Us not making the house of God a house of merchandise opens us up to be taken advantage of. Can I be honest with you? Very Baptist Church gets taken advantage of financially a lot. Because we offer all sorts of free activities, we offer all, everything's free, everything's free, so people, you know, they like to take it. But you know what? I'd rather let people take advantage of us and be right with God than to put a fee on something when God says we ought not make the Father's house a house of merchandise. Now we take an offering because it's scriptural. We take a, the, the tithe and the offerings because it's scriptural. But we will never sell. You say, uh, uh, are you going to sell coffee? We'll never sell coffee. We'll never sell anything. Because Jesus Christ said to not make.
with us. He'll make merchandise of you. He'll make money off of you. Now, your pastor should be paid from the tithes and offerings that come to the church. That's very scriptural. But we, we ought not sell anything. We are not, Pastor Man is not going to come out with a new book and I want to sell it to you. Now, if I come out with a new book, guess what? I'll give it to you. We came out with After the Tribulation. Did anybody get charged for a copy? They were free. Now, listen, let me explain something to you. They pop out of thin air. Let me explain something to you. You know, these ladies' activity, my wife and I just went to Walmart, spent over $200 getting ready for this ladies' activity for you, for the ladies on Friday night. I'm not saying this to try to make you feel bad. I'm just telling you, this stuff doesn't just show up with me. It costs money. But we don't charge for it because we want to be a blessing to you. So don't take advantage of it. We're not your grocery store. I'm going to come to church and I'm going to load up on groceries for the next two weeks. That's stealing. And that's a, sermon, that's a subject for another sermon. But um, we ought not be selling, because the Bible says... Because here's the focus of a false prophet. So you walk into church, and it's from the moment you sit down. It's like, make sure you give your tithe, make sure you stop and buy this, make sure you stop by the, by the, by the coffee shop, and pick up your uh, $3 Starbucks coffee, make sure you go by the bookstore, and pick up your book that the pastor just wrote, and, and make sure you go here, and make sure you give this, and make sure you give that, and we're taking this special offering, and now we're doing this, and we're... Hey, let me tell you something. Uh, just, just remember, just have a fly go up. Is this a false prophet? Why does it seem like he's so focused on money? Why does it seem like all he's talking about is money? All he's interested in is money. He's telling us if you, if you don't have money, then you're not right with God. He's making gain godliness. Balaam was covetous. And that's what a false prophet is. is covetous. Now we'll preach on money at Verity Baptist Church. But you notice how it's not the central theme of every sermon around here? It's very rare we even talk about money. So, we said number one... Balaam was covetous. Number two, Balaam was a compromiser. Now go to Numbers 22. i got to do this quickly. Um, Numbers 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 22. Look at verse number 21. Numbers 22. And by the way, you know what? Our church doesn't have a lot of money. But you know that God has always taken care of our needs? Like God has always, we, we've never missed a payment on, on a rent. We, we've never had, you know, uh, you say, well, Pastor Mendes, you start doing preaching CDs. Uh, is it because you couldn't afford them? No, it's because i got to get somebody to do them. <laughs> we could afford to do them. It, 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 we've never struggled financially. I'm not saying that we may not struggle in the future. I'm just telling you right now. God has taken care of it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Yes. If you put God first, He'll take care of it. Numbers 22, look at verse uh, number 21. Number 22, verse 21. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Now remember, Balak just hired him to curse the people. God is mad at him for going. And the angel Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. Now, are you, are you following what's going on? Balaam's riding his donkey. The angel of the Lord shows up to kill Balaam. The donkey sees him. The ass sees him. But Balaam doesn't see him. Verse 22. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyard, a wall being on this side, and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself onto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. So Balaam hits the donkey, hits the ass. He, she goes into the wall, crushes his foot, 
And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. So he's getting closer and closer. Where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and she smote the ass with a staff. So the, the ass just like, said, I'm not going anywhere, just flops to the ground. Balaam gets so mad, begins to just beat this donkey, verse 28, and the Lord opened, this is what makes this story so amazing. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, The donkey begins to talk. What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And if you think that's funny, this is what I think is hilarious. And Balaam said unto the ass, You can talk! That's not what he said. He begins to have a conversation. He says, Because thou hast mocked me, and I, and, and I would that there were a sword in my hand, for now would I have killed thee. You, man, Balaam is really just out of control, you know what I mean? He's so mad, he's not even thinking about the fact, this donkey's talking to me. He's like, I wish I could kill you right now. I wish I had a sword that I could kill you. Verse 30. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden over since I was uh, thine unto this day? Was I ever wont to do so unto thee? She said, she said, Have I ever done this before? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel Lord standing in the way. And his sword was drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. So then God opens the eyes of Balaam so he can see the angel of the Lord. Verse 32, And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because, notice what he says, Because thy way is perverse before me. I don't have time to develop this. Just remember this word perverse. It is associated with the words uh, 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 crooked, rebellious. Oftentimes it has to do with what you're going to do with your lips. It'll say you're, you have perverse lips or a perverse mouth. See, God is upset with Balaam because Balaam has every intention of going and cursing God's people. After God told him, do not curse the people. See, here's what you understand. Balaam did not even want... He liked the children of Israel. He didn't even want to curse them, but he was willing to do it for the... He, Balaam was the type of preacher who he was willing to say anything for the right price. He was a compromiser. He had no conviction. He had no stand. He, he, he didn't have any, you know, this is where I stand. This is where I go. I'm not crossing this line. But you know what? That's how most people live their lives. Most people today do not, you ought to learn this word. And it's not really a Bible word, but you ought to just learn this word and just, just write it on your forehead. The word conviction. There ought to be things in your life that you just say, I am not willing, I don't care how much money you offer me, I don't care what you offer me, I am not willing to do X, Y, and Z. But most people and most preachers do not live their lives that way. You know, at Brady Baptist Church, there are certain stands we take, I'm not willing to change them. Say, well, you're going to lose your crowd, you're going to lose your ministry, you're going to lose all your money. I don't care what we lose, we're not, there's certain things, they're not changing. That's called having conviction. That's called having character. Balaam lacked both. And the sad part is, most people lack both. Most people's convictions are for sale. Most people's convictions, I will not do such and such. You know, your boss wants to get you to work on Sunday. I'm not working on Sunday. I'll double your pay. I will work this Sunday. You know what that means? No conviction. And that's what Balaam had. No conviction. He, he says, I will not serve. You know, I'm not going to curse Israel. Balaam says, I'll pay you this much. Okay, let's go. God gets so mad, he wants to cut his head off. He says, your way was perverse before me. Verse 33. And the ass saw me, 
and turned from me these three times, unless she had turned from me. Surely now also I have slain thee, and saved her life. And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, it is, it, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. Verse 35, notice what he says. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that... Thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balaam. God was not upset that he was going. God was upset that he was going, but he was going to compromise his message. God said, you can go, but you better say what I tell you to say. I don't care how much they're going to pay you. See, Balaam was a compromiser, and he compromised based on finances. You, 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 go, go to Jude. You, you, want to, you say, Pastor Menace, how do we know you're not, a, uh, you're not a false prophet? Have I ever offended you? Have I ever said something you didn't like? Have I ever preached something from the Bible and you thought, I can't believe you said that. That ought to be the most proof to you that I am not a false prophet. You know why? Because if I was a false prophet, I would only say things that would make you feel good. I would preach a nice message. I tell you, you are great. I know you're a drug addict, but that's okay. I know you're just living in sin, but God loves you. And then I take an offering. That's what a false prophet does. You know what a preacher does? He says, thus saith the Lord God, and doesn't compromise. Now you may not like that, but that's the word of God. You may not like that, but that's what the Bible says. But that's not what Balaam was. Balaam said, I can't curse the people. I'll pay you this much. Okay, let's go. And three different times he tried to curse them. God would not allow them. Now, now you guys see this, okay? That's what a false prophet does. Are you there in Jude? Look at verse 16. Every time you get offended, you got to think. You got to just say, praise God, Pastor Jimenez may be mean and rude, but at least he's not a false prophet. At least he tells the truth. Look at verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth, look what it says, their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. Let me tell you something. You start going to a church and you start thinking to yourself, every time I go to that church, I just feel so good. I've been going there for six months and just every time I go, I feel so good. There's a problem there. Unless you're Jesus Christ and you just have no sin in your life, the Bible says you ought to go to church to be rebuked, to be reproved. Sometimes you ought to leave church thinking, wow, I didn't like that, but it's what you needed. But see, these guys, they preach great, swelling words, having men's persons and admiration because of advantage. That's what the Bible says. Look at verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry. Go, no, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. I don't know if you kept your finger there or not. I told you to keep your finger there. 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. For when they speak great, swelling words of vanity, they alert through the lust of their flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. Look at verse 3, same chapter. And through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth, uh, slumbereth not. It says with feigned words. You see that in verse 3? Feigned words. You know what the word feigned words? It means they are insincere. It means they are not real. It means they are fake. It means they are a lie. With lying words, they'll make you feel good because they're interested in one thing. Your money. The more people... They don't want to offend you. 
See, at Mary Baptist Church, our purpose is to help you grow. Our purpose is that today you'll be a better Christian than you were yesterday. And in order to do that, we have to correct problems in your life. That's what the Bible is. And that's what we do in my life. That's what you ought to be doing in your life. And sometimes that can get offended. But see, a false prophet, he doesn't want to correct anything in your life. He wants to just make you feel good. Let's get this whole auditorium packed out. Everybody feeling good. Everybody in the zone. Everybody, whatever you want. Let's just do what you want. It's fine. Forget about the Bible. Forget about doctrine. Because all they want is this, money. That's what we learn from Balaam. Go to, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 2. We, we got we, we to gotta do this quickly. We're almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. This is what God says to me. Preach the word. Be instant in season, not a season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all I'm suffering in doctrine. That's my job. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. My job is to teach you the Bible. My job is to be patient with you. My job is to reprove you. My job is to rebuke you, both negative, and my job is to exhort you, positive. I'm to teach you the Bible. But the Bible says in verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Fain words. And shall be turned unto fables. You just got to understand this. Balaam was a compromiser. Balaam compromised. Balaam watered down the sermon. Balaam said, I'm not going to, even though that was in my note, I'm not going to say that because I don't want to offend Mr. Moneybags over there. I don't want to offend so-and-so. Look, my goal is not to offend you, but my goal is to rebuke, reprove, and exhort. But that's not what Balaam, Balaam's sermons were up for sale. I want you to see this. Number one, Balaam was covetous. Number two, Balaam was a compromiser. And that's the problem in Christianity today. We compromise. I believe this. But see, we're willing to change what we believe. We're willing to change where we stand. See, people, look at marriage. People go to an altar, make a promise before God. I will marry this person. And this is what they say. Till death do us part. And then as soon as the first, you know, well, I can't believe they, they left their socks out. I'm going to divorce that person. Well, you just compromise on what you said you believe. That's the problem with our society. That's wrong with most Christians. That's wrong with most pastors. Is they compromise what they believe. You ought to just decide. You ought to just figure out, what do you, what do you believe? Where do you stand? And then don't change. Don't change that. Stick to that conviction. Now look, I'm all for changing things if they need to be changed. Don't get this attitude, it's wrong to change. Look, change if you're wrong, change. If there's a better way to do it and it's not unscriptural, change. But if it's right and you've already dealt with it, you've already made that decision, you've already, God has already spoken to you, then don't change. Don't be given to change. Don't compromise your stand. Take a conviction. Take a stand and don't move from it. That's what the men in the Bible did, by the way. That's why they died. You ever heard of a martyr? You know that every single martyr could have compromised and said, oh no, that's not what I really believe, and they would have let them go. But, but our forefathers were hanged, they were burned at stakes. Look, all they had to say was, I don't believe the Bible. They would have let them go. But they did not want to compromise and said, I'm willing to die. Right. Than, to, than to verbally 
say that I don't believe in Jesus Christ. You know what Christians today would say? Well, I'm going to say it, but I don't really believe it. You're compromising. Those guys said, I'm not even willing to say it. You want to kill me because I believe in Jesus Christ? Then kill me. What to God we could get back to that type of Christianity. Unfortunately, that type of Christianity, I feel, is long and gone. Go back to Numbers 24. Let me give you one more point. Numbers 24. Balaam was covetous. Balaam was a compromiser. False prophets today are covetous. False prophets today are compromisers. But you know what? Point number three, Balaam was corrupt. Balaam was corrupt. Now, you understand what we mean by that. When we say corrupt, and I show it to you in Matthew, we're referring to what they produce. They produce a corrupt. Balaam's ministry, here's what you understand. Balaam's ministry produced worldliness and sin among God's people. Are you there in Numbers chapter, uh, did I say 22? Go to uh, chapter 24. Numbers 24. Look at verse number 14. Numbers 24, verse 14. Look at, and I don't have time to develop this, so you're just going to have to read it on your own. Balaam is trying to curse God's people. God is not allowing him to, so he gets this bright idea. Here's what he says. Numbers 24, look at verse 14. And now, behold, I go unto my people. By the way, Israel was his people, and he's trying to curse them. Well, how much money would, you, would, would someone have to give you for you to curse your family? That's what Balaam did. He's a compromiser. And now behold, I go unto my people. Come therefore, and I will advertise, notice that word advertise, thee, what this people shall do to thy people in the latter day. So Balaam said, I can't curse them, God won't physically allow me to curse them. So he says, here's what I'm going to do, Moab. Moab is a bad country. Moab is the the enemy. Moab is the world. He says, here's what I'm going to do, Moab. You come with me, and I'm going to advertise the world to God's people. And I'm going to advertise God's people to the world. What happened? Look at verse 1 of chapter 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now keep your finger there in number 25. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2, last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 14. God gives us a little insight as to what happened. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Here, God is talking to one of the churches of... uh, of, uh, Let's see, what church is it here? The church of Pergamos. And he says, here's what I have against thee. Thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. Do you see that? They were eating things they weren't supposed to eat. They were doing things they weren't supposed to do. Look at Numbers 25 again. Verse 1. The people began to commit whoredoms with the daughters of Moab. What was the result? And the book of Revelation tells us they were committing fornication. What was the result? Verse 9. And those that died in the plague, God sent a plague because of fornication. Fornication is not really that big of a deal, Pastor. Don't you understand? It's just the way our society is today. And those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. God killed 24,000 people because of the sin of fornication. Isn't that crazy? And you know what? Today, most Christians don't even know there's anything wrong with fornication. You know why? Because most Christians go to some feel-good, modernistic 
no backbone preacher that doesn't preach. He, he starts nowhere and he ends up in the same place he started. Teaches nothing, says nothing. You say, how do I know if someone's a false prophet? Go to, go to Matthew chapter number 7. What was the result of Balaam's ministry on the children of Israel? They were worse off than when they started. What was the result of Balaam's ministry on the children of Israel? They were living worldly lives. They were hanging out with the world. They were fornicating. They were eating things they weren't supposed to eat. They were going against the laws that God had given them. You say, how do you know a false prophet? Or if they're covetous, you can know a false prophet. If they're compromisers, you can know a false prophet. But you know what? You can also know a false prophet. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Look what it says. Beware of false prophets. You say that, by the way. This is Jesus Christ speaking. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now notice, verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Who's ever heard that phrase before? I mean, if I had a dime for every time I heard that phrase. By their fruits you shall know them. By their fruits you shall know them. That's what all Christians like. By their fruits you shall know them. Now hold on a second. By their fruits you shall know who? Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. What's the context? Verse 15. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them. You will know false prophets by their fruits. Okay? People like to say, Oh, you shall know a Christian by their fruits. No, you won't. You do not know a Christian by their fruits. Because people say, Well, you know them by their fruits. That is a false teaching. That is trying to add works to salvation. Here's what the people, when they say you are known by the fruits, here's what they're meaning. If they're not living a right life, then they must not be a Christian. Because by their fruits you shall know. That is work salvation. And the Bible never teaches. And here's what they, and then you ask them, you know, I, I'll ask people, well, what fruits are you talking about? Love, joy, long suffering. And they start to name off the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, my friend. Those are not the fruits of a Christian. Now, you can have those fruits in your life if you're walking in the Spirit. But guess what? A lot of Christians walk in the flesh, not in the Spirit. A lot of Christians quench the Spirit. A lot of Christians will grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. So you can have the Holy Spirit and yet not have the production of the fruit of the Spirit in your life because you are grieving or quenching, or like the Bible says about Lot, that he vexed his righteous soul. There is a such thing as a worldly Christian. Paul called him a carnal Christian. Okay? By their fruits you shall know them is a reference to false prophets. Now what is a fruit? What you produce. What does an apple tree produce? Apples. What does an orange tree produce? Oranges. What does a false prophet produce? Well, look what it says. You shall know them by their fruits. Now, do men gather grapes of thorns? Do you go to a thorn bush and gather grapes? No, because thorns don't produce grapes. Or figs, thistles. Can you go to thistles and grab figs? No, because thistles do not produce figs. Verse 17, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. See, you want to know what a false prophet is? Test their fruit. You know how I know what's a false prophet in, in Sacramento? When I, when I go out soul winning, and I meet, you know, 50 people from the same church, and all of them are not saved, 
All of them are living in fornication. All of them think it's okay to get drunk on Saturday night. All of them are just living like the devil. You know what that tells me? They must be the fruit of a false prophet. Because by their fruit, you shall know them. You know, you know what gives me assurance that I'm doing the right thing as a pastor? When people come to Verity Baptist Church and they make statements like this, and I've had multiple people say this to us, and I'm not saying this in a proud way, so please understand. When people say this to me, I've learned more in the few months coming to Verity Baptist Church than I've learned my whole life as a Christian. You know what that tells me? That they're changing. They're learning. When people begin to get sin out of their life, when people begin... See, you say, how do I know that Pastor Jimenez is, is, a, is a good preacher? Check his fruit. If his fruit is producing what it's supposed to be, but guess what? If, if you go to a church and everyone's just living in sin, they don't even think there's anything wrong with it, everything. I mean, what did Balaam bring to the children of Israel? Drunkenness, partiness, fornication, they were eating, they, they were uh, going away from the laws of Moses. That's what Balaam produced because he was a corrupt tree. He produced corrupt fruit. By their fruits, you shall know them. Go back to Jude, real quickly. we got to finish this up. We're almost done. Jude, look at verse, Jude, look at verse 12. Now you got to understand this, okay? A false prophet doesn't produce anything of value. Now look, a false prophet may look good. Are you there in Jude? Look at verse 12. They are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Look what it says. Clouds they are. Without water. Now look, clouds were a very important thing in those days. You know why? Because they were made their money off of farming. They needed water. He's telling them, a false prophet is like a cloud that has no water. Go, go to 2 Peter chapter 2. Did you keep your finger there? 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 17. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. These are wells without water. What uses a well if it doesn't have any water? Clouds they are carried with a tempest. Go back to Jude. Look at verse 12 again. Look at, look, look at verse 12. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about the winds. Trees, keep this in mind with Matthew chapter 7. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit. You say, I, I know this preacher, he's got a real big building. He's got a real nice building. Man, if he, I'm impressed with his cloud. Yeah, his cloud's nice. The problem is there's no water. Man, they got this real nice well done at that Pentecostal church, Pastor. Don't you know? They, they got, man, they, they're talking about money. They're talking about this. Or he's saying he's going to heal me. He's saying he's going to bless me. He's saying, you know, if I send him $50, they're going to send me his hanky that he sweat on. And, and my whole life's going to be fine. Yeah, it's, it's nice and impressive. It looks good. The problem is what they produce is nothing. What they produce is no water. They're a cloud. They look good. But nothing of value. By the way, that's why these charismatic churches, they, they, go, they, they go down as fast as they come up. They, you know, oh, so-and-so church, they must have the blessing of God. In five years, they were running 5,000. Yeah, but in five years, they'll be gone. You know what will show the strength of Verity Baptist Church? If 20 years from now... We're still preaching the Bible. 30 years from now, 50 years from now, you're still faithful. You're still reading the Bible. You're still praying. We're still getting people saved. We're still seeing people baptized. Because see, it's about what we produce. But see, if all I want is your money, then I don't care if you're growing. If all I want is your money, then I don't care if you're living in sin. 
If all I want is your money, I just want to make you feel good, so you'll put that money in the offering plate, and we'll just move on. I'll drive off in my Mercedes-Benz. Say, what's a false prophet? They're covetous. I'm not saying that a pastor ought not be paid well, because they should. But a false prophet is covetous. A false prophet is a compromiser. A false prophet is corrupt. They produce a corrupt fruit. You want to know what if a ministry is good? Check its fruit. You want to know if a ministry is doing right? Check its fruit. See what they're producing. Look at their people. You know, our church. You know, our church is very large. You know, I'll, I'll put our our church people. Honestly, now I may pick some of you. You know, but I'll I'll, I'll put our people up against any other church in, in this. You know, some other church in this city wants to have a, a Bible trivia contest. I'll put our people up against them. I know they've been getting the Bible. I don't know what they've been getting over there. I'm proud of what we have here. I'm proud of the growth that we have here. You say, well, it's not, it's not very impressive. Yeah, but there's water. There's refreshment. There is growth. There is something being accomplished. Lives are being changed. People are learning the Word of God. That's what a prophet does. And he may not drive a nice car. And he may not have nice things. And he may not dress very impressive. But he preaches the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the book of Jude, Lord. And thank you for allowing us to be able to see what we can learn. Last week, we learned about Cain. This week, we learned about Balaam. Next week, we'll learn about Korah as we learn about these false prophets. And Lord, help us to just be people that would be interested in growth. Sometimes the tree may not be very impressive on the outside because in the inside, it's growing deep, deep roots. But those roots are going to keep it strong. Those roots are going to help it grow. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be a good tree that would produce good fruit. That people would come check our fruit and they would say, wow, this, this must be a good tree. Lord, I pray you'd help each and every one of us to be interested in growing in you, loving you. Lord, help us to be uh, have wide eyes, Lord, open eyes to false prophets. They may look good. They may be eloquent in their speech. They may sound good. But if they're not teaching you anything, if they're not challenging you, then what's the point? Father, I pray you'd help us. We love you, Lord. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.